Okay, podcast listeners. So this is the Brendan Brown's Collections of Facts and Theories podcast show, and today we are just going to watch this episode of Buzzsprout doing an interview with some guy, which I'm trying to figure out his name, and I finally read it the right way. It's called Jordan Harbinger, and I'm going to talk about and pause while listening to his episode and talk about, you know, my reaction to it while listening to it. Let's move on. Okay, Paul Kessler, so I'm about to get to it so that we can listen to the first 15 minutes. I'm putting the phone right here so you guys can hear me and hear me talk while I'm listening to this video. Making a huge amount of money as a partner at a major firm. You know, so you have to be in the top 1% of podcasting to, like, break even. Break over your hosting fees. Yeah, cover the hosting fees to, and forget about having a co-host, you know, and forget about, like, going out to eat more than once in a blue moon like this is not a way to make a living very much in the beginning and I, I don't again i don't want to discourage people i just want people to be realistic because i think a lot of people look at joe rogan and go oh my god a hundred million dollar spotify deal how hard can it be he just but you gotta realize though guys is and gals by the way joe rogan is a superstar in podcasting you have to be unique that's what people are forgetting you got to be unique be yourself, like with my podcast. Before I even started, I never knew about this Joe Rogan guy till I got to like season two of this whole podcast show I'm doing. And like, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad. I don't got that much listeners. I don't feel bad that I keep getting listeners high and then it goes low because the stock market always goes low and high on my podcast. It doesn't matter. As long as you be yourself and you love it and you be dedicated to what you do, you should be happy. Be yourself. That's all. Just be yourself smokes pot and talks to people i can do that i smoke that's pot not quite what's happening people. <laughs> right yeah yeah like that's not quite what's going on there you know all right so i love you're already starting to kind of hint towards this growing a podcast to the level that you're at is remarkable most people are not even within two standard deviations of this i mean you are way at this tip and you're six million downloads a month what should people be thinking about? I mean, I'd love to hear, like, what are your growth strategies? What have you done to grow the Jordan Harbinger show? So I, I've done everything that you can possibly imagine. I tried social ads. They don't convert very well. You end up paying a lot yep. for, like, a click that maybe the person subscribes or maybe they don't even download anything. They just go, oh, that tried to open, I don't know, this podcasting app on my phone. Ugh, close, right? Yep. Th that's not what you want. Um, I've tried going on a bunch of other shows that works you know going on as many shows as possible but it's also not scalable right like if i'm going on a show let's say i get 100 new listeners every time i go on a show that has uh over 10,000 new listeners i've got to go on a show that's in the top let's say five percent of podcasts in terms of size i've got to do that how often to get 100 new listeners i'd have to do that like twice a day right. to get reasonable growth of my show that's really 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 tough it, it, it's not possible period it's just not you and also you run out of shows that are willing to interview people after a couple of weeks at that rate because you know the logistics of hiring so the thing i've really settled on right now and this is not for necessarily like beginners um the thing i've settled on right now is advertising on other podcasts that's what i've been doing um i actually i wouldn't say i started I agree on that because, you know, with me doing Anchor, I do the Anchor sponsorship. 
And I learned this from my friend named Jeremiah Patterson. And, you know, I met him last year around the same time in 2019 of December. And he was talking about podcasting, podcasting. I was figuring out what it was till I realized, oh, it's like that. And then, you know, I started listening to his podcast and I figured out, why does he always have that same intro? And I figured out, it's his prologue, which is like his advertisement. It's like a sponsorship somewhat. And he does a sponsorship with Anchor because Anchor can get you sponsors. It don't even have to be Spotify or even Anchor itself. It can be a different sponsorship. But my sponsorship, I don't know about Jeremiah's one. I think it is still Anchor, but with mine, it's still Anchor, and I sponsor with Anchor, and Anchor monetizes my podcast. Well, Anchor allows me to monetize my own podcast by using sponsorship. If I remove any sponsorships, I will not get paid, but if I do, I will get paid. So, I agree on what he say. If you do ads, it will help your podcast grow even more, because with ads comes more listeners... Because those sponsors will start looking out for you guys and start trying to get you and gals to start trying to get you to get listeners. Because if your podcast is like real big time, they're going to try to get you. But if your podcast is like small or starting small or somewhat still trying to get that growth like mine, it's not going to really search that much. But it's still going to try to search to get you as much listeners as it can. An agency, but I have a couple of big clients that are interested in growing their show. But you, you do need a budget of like $10,000 a month to really move the needle in a way that makes sense to have somebody like me help you. But I use products like Chartable to track attribution. Um, I buy and I negotiate bulk rates on networks for my clients because if everybody spends big, then you can get the CPMs down really low. That's how agencies work. So I've started doing that. And at large scale, I realized, oh my gosh, if you get the CPM down low enough, you can get... 300 400 new listeners per day and if you get enough impressions going then you start to see a real snowball effect and nobody else is really doing this right like that's some of the ways that i do that is quote unquote trade secret but it's not rocket science i'll tell you um it's been very tough to get it going the tools are really rudimentary um even things like that i'm using to to buy or track the ads are not necessarily finished products yet but that's the stuff that really works and again not for beginners but for companies and individuals who happen to just want to grow their show, like if you're a, if you own a solar company and you do lead gen with your podcast and you can afford to make it a loss leader, then growing with ads, don't the, the whole like repurpose content and post it on LinkedIn, that is it's a really small game. It, it sort of works, but it kind of doesn't. You know, you pay fifteen hundred bucks a month to get everything repurposed to Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. You get a couple hundred listeners for it. Just buy ads. You're going to get twice as much ROI. It's all trackable. And you don't have to have six interns in Malaysia posting things and making noise on social media. Right? So, And I agree on that because that is true. And, you know, I know I'm out of subject because he already got past that part. But, again, like how he said about... Your career-wise, podcasting isn't that simple for real. And I had to realize that myself this year. Because 2020 really got my head going cuckoo thinking that 
podcasting would have been my future career. I mean, it can be my future career, guys and gals, but it's a process. We don't know how much time it takes. That Jordan Harbinger says that it will be at least maybe seven to eight years, but you don't know what God can do. He might can allow you to wait four years, three years, five years, three months, two months. Who knows what God can do? As long as you put God first, God will help you because that's what I do. I put God first to help me on this podcasting, to help me do what I can do. And, you know, with this podcasting, I really want to tell you guys is that maybe if you do want this to be your future career, have a job just in case and don't quit it. And especially if you have a job where you make big time money, keep that job. Keep it because... You don't know where it could go from. Just like how I told you guys of Boeing. I want to work at Boeing so that I can still have a good salary with the podcasting and my YouTube channel. And another YouTube channel that I'm making with another podcast I'm doing. So that's why I say have a job so that you can have other things under your belt like how my parents always says. And especially with degrees, always get a high school degree and a college degree. You don't have to if you don't want to. It's your choice. But in my opinion, I believe you should get it. And with me, I'm still thinking of what I want to do because, you know, with virtual school being so difficult, it's like so much pressure. And I'm like, I don't know, I want to go to school again. And, you know, I feel like I don't want to go to college because I believe it will be a waste of your time to be in there for four years and you... Waste your four years for nothing, which I believe if you go for two years, you'll still have the rest of your life to live and you might get successful over that. But I'm just saying, if I get successful, I will and God will bless me. So what I did is I changed my mind. I'm still thinking about it, but I believe I would want to do a four-year instead of a two-year college. And I believe that would be better so that I can get my bachelor's degree and pass, but if Boeing comes in the way and I get hired for internship and that'll be my job, I'll be grateful and I'll have a good salary and then I'll have good income from that podcasting and my YouTube channel. If my podcast and YouTube gets big, I'm not going to quit on Boeing because guess what? You don't know what can happen with the reviews of your podcast because it can go down real fast and it can go up real fast, so you just got to be careful. But if podcasting gets to the point where I get real big and famous and, like, I don't have to worry about having my reviews go all the way down, then I probably would maybe um, do what I'm going to do. I don't want to say that because I don't know who's probably listening to this episode, but you know what I mean as in if I get famous, then you know I might do what I might do. But let's resume. Uh, It's... It's a messy situation right now for, for landscape. I, so I actually went and I was doing a bunch of research across social media. You are not doing a ton. You're most active on Instagram, but since like last few months, you haven't been posting almost at all. Is that intentional that you're just like, this social stuff doesn't get a good ROI in mm-hmm. my life or for my podcast or any of my stuff. So you just taking a step back. Yeah. I find social media largely be a waste of time. Uh, I like social media for the one-way communication. I guess it's two-way communication that I get with show fans. 
but I'm not trying to be an influencer because I know a lot of broke ass influencers, um, you know, and I know a lot of them that are making good money, but every day, every moment of their life is trying to figure out how to monetize them going to the freaking dentist, yes. you know, and it's a game that you lose as you get older or you can't scale or the algorithm gods go, they look left instead of right. And now suddenly you're deprioritized or you're demonetized because you said one thing uh, that a bunch of people didn't like about something and, and it doesn't have to be anything serious or Google just says, you know, we don't really like people that do selfie videos too much. Let's try people who are uh, driving this week. Yep. And then suddenly you're like, why is my YouTube channel basically dead? I don't get it. So with podcasting, since it's an open ecosystem and they're, and before he gets to that, that is true about demonetize because you know, it's just so crazy because Uncaged Games said the same thing with his YouTube channel when it came to Mortal Kombat and True Underdog. Like, when they're doing blood and stuff, it gets demonetized because it's either that Google or YouTube algorithm that's checking to see what's going on with that video or so much, and you can't have it. Because if you didn't rate, if you said that this um, YouTube video is for anyone to watch and has blood, they're going to take it off because you forgot teenagers and kids are watching it because YouTube has this new thing where it's like teenagers can't watch certain stuff because back then teenagers could have looked at anything on YouTube even if it was rated R or rated M but now it's like YouTube has a strict thing now for teenagers where you cannot look at that unless you're over 18 or maybe over 16 I believe so yeah it's a lot of stuff but let's go back to what he says and I'm gonna rewind like maybe a little portion so you can listen again much let's try people who are uh driving this week yep. and then suddenly you're like why is my youtube channel basically dead i don't get it so with podcasting since it's an open ecosystem and there is no algorithm yes there's nothing that goes viral but there's also no there's no like hey the wind changed and now your entire business is completely broke and useless and there's nothing you can do about it which is what i see with people on youtube um on, or tiktok the algorithm changes or their audience just migrates to the next like funny guy who jumps on tables full of food as a hilarious prank and now you're just a, no a nobody again and nobody's sponsoring your stuff and look if social media ads were really that valuable the cpms wouldn't be like three or four bucks right podcast cpms are like 30 bucks i'm getting 30 dollars 25 30 bucks cpm you know and then you get a, give a cut to the salespeople, like i mentioned before if you got Google ads running and stuff like that, you're getting, you're lucky if you get three or four bucks. You need to have a YouTube channel, or, sorry, not even a channel, because subscribers don't matter, right, with, with YouTube. Right. With YouTube, you have to have millions of people watch every single one of your videos to get even remotely within the realm of the amount of profit that a decent-sized podcast makes with, like, three people working on it. Yeah, I like to, I really push this point all the time because... Um, he said millions. Let me rewind that again. Get three or four bucks. You need to have a YouTube channel. Or, sorry, not even a channel because subscribers don't matter, right? With with YouTube, right? With YouTube, you have to have millions of people watch every single one of your videos to get even remotely within the realm of the amount of profit that a decent sized podcast makes with like three people working on. Um, first of all, this guy is wrong. Because with YouTubing, they had this new thing now 
and like everyone's saying it now, and I think it, it hasn't changed yet, but all you had to do is if you have at least a thousand subscribers or or over four thousand or maybe at four thousand minutes or watch time of your videos or people watching it or so so on, you can monetize your channel. So what he's saying is wrong. You can monetize it. Now the profit wise, like how he said, maybe yes, you do maybe need over millions or so, or so on. But you know, I've watched Uncle <coughs> excuse me. I've watched I don't have no corona. <laughs> I've watched Uncaged Games, Alpha M, Alex Costa, Jose Zinka, Breast Poet, and so on, many more YouTube channels. They have like maybe thirteen thousand people watching. Maybe million maybe one million people watching. And so forth. But guess what? It doesn't matter how much, as long as you got over a thousand people maybe even watching your videos, in my opinion, you should have at least a good profit. And if you are like Jose Zinka who has like millions of subscribers and millions of people watching his videos, then that will be your lifetime of living through YouTube. YouTube will be your life living. But if you are like Breastpoet or his or Uncaged Games, who just got like thousands of subscribers and so on, maybe your um, money might just go to paying bills and that's it. But if you're like Jose Zinka or Alpha M, who has like a lot of subscribers, then that money you're getting will be your like lifetime money where you can live off it and spend some of, some of it. I really push this point all the time because we do YouTube, we do podcasts, we do blog, we do a course, everything on the same stuff. But I go to podcast movement and the only people who come up and say, I'm so excited to meet you. You taught me how to podcast. They mm -hmm. all listen to our podcast episodes. Almost none of the people who've ever watched our YouTube videos come up and talk to me, even though those have 10 times the plays that the podcast has. The level of engagement there is a total another level. I mean, it is something totally different when someone listens to you for 10, 20 episodes that versus they were drunk on a Saturday and so they just decided to scroll through mm -hmm. YouTube for an hour. Exactly. Like like TikTok and these, I know these people that go, dude, you got to get on TikTok. You got to get on TikTok. I have 300,000 plays on my last few videos. And I go, great. How do you reach those people? Oh, I just make another video. And they'll make a course or something and they'll put it out in the video and they're like, dude, it's just like no one cares. And I go, of course they don't care. They're, they're on the toilet scrolling. They're not fans of yours. They're literally, the algorithm put your crap in front of them because you said something funny in a video once or because like you had your cute puppy in the video. No one cares about you on here. But then you go to... You know, that is true though. I never thought of it like that. Jordan Harbinger is saying it true though. That's how people are for real. They, they are like that. It is the algorithm because, like, even with YouTube, it gets your algorithm. If you really, really are, like, a person who's doing good, then you will have, like, a lot of people like Jose Zinka. And, like, how he said, again, you have to reach out to people for real. How are you reaching out to them? Just like um, with you guys. How am I reaching out to you guys? Well, the way I'm reaching out to you guys is that I'm trying to give you guys the latest updates I'll be grateful if you guys, like, say, Bridget Brown and so-and-so, or, you know, I'm a great host or anything, but I try to 
get you guys. I forgot how the way he just said it. How to connect you guys. The way I'm trying to connect you guys is by trying to... Oh, excuse me. That's the right word. The way I'm trying to reach you guys out is that I'm trying to give you guys the latest updates on things. I'm trying to give you guys smart tactics, smart rules. Not just podcasting-wise, but life-wise, book-smart-wise, and so on. And that's what I'm trying to help you guys. So... I hope y'all just keep on enjoying this episode and let's listen on some more. The podcast and you put up your first 10 episodes and you find people that have listened to you for 10 hours and they feel like they've known you for that long and they've got this parasocial relationship with you that's sort of like a one-way friendship and they're really excited to meet you. To be To do that on YouTube, not only do you have millions of people literally competing with you for that, but you've also got a much shorter attention span. You've got a younger and less sophisticated audience with social media and YouTube. And for a show like the Jordan Harbinger show, that, that, yeah, broker, broker audience, for a show like the Jordan Harbinger show, I've got educated affluent professionals, you know, talking about global affairs, world events. I've got great stories on there. I've got neuroscientists and psychologists. Those are usually like educated affluent professionals, generally, you know, not everyone, but generally. And those that's a much more desirable audience than casting as wide a net as possible also there's something called that i've i've called the jerry springer effect where when you're on youtube and you're really sub you're sort of subject to the algorithm and not youtube but social media in general i always use youtube as the example social media in general you have the the jerry springer effect which is back in the 90s i don't expect you to remember this jerry springer was actually like a really serious talk show host he was really really smart he was like well-spoken he still is well-spoken when he wants to be and he had intelligent discussions on his show and his com- uh, daytime talk competitor was this guy Geraldo Rivera who's just a yahoo who's on Fox News all the time making up you know baloney uh generally all the time and he's just kind of like a professional wrestler of journalism he's not like a good journalist in my opinion and so what Geraldo did was he had white supremacists on and black panthers at the same time and he got hit in the face with a chair and his ratings went through the roof, and it was totally unplanned, supposedly. And then everyone watched Geraldo Rivera, and then he was like, oh, I'm only going to have a circus on my show, because that's how you get ratings. And then Jenny Jones and Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake, they went from, like, serious, like, good talk shows to, crap, guess I got to act like an idiot and have dumb people on here who throw chairs and, like, say you're not the father, yep. or you are the father and do paternity tests live, Maury Povich, like, all those people used to be serious. Yep. Now you see, guys, what I'm talking about? Not by what he's saying, but... Hang on. By... Pardon me, Paul, because I was just very busy at that brief moment, but... Not by what he was saying, but earlier on, what he was saying about millions of views to get good profit and so on. I don't know what he's talking about, because Jose Zinka... He has his latest video, which is called How to Have a Deeper Voice, as this recording is called How to Have a Deeper Voice. It's, it has 67,572 views, and it has 499 million subscribers. So you're telling me that you got to have good profit to have over... A thousand followers have millions because Jose Zinka, I know he's making good money worth this, and he has about at least a thousand. 
His video before that was 163,659,000 views. So you're telling me that thousands won't work. You have to have millions? You're crazy. Let's go to Alex Costa, guys. He doesn't have that much um, subscribers as Jose Zinka, but guess what? He still got 296 million subscribers, and he only has 772 videos. His latest video was from David Brockett's whatever this thing was called, and he has 52,610 views. And look at that. Alex Costa even has proof to tell me he told us already before that he makes a living off of YouTube. So... It doesn't matter how much views you get or how much subscribers you have. Well, no, excuse me, pardon me. It don't matter about how much views. It just matters about how much subscribers, how much time you put in, how much work you put in, and how much your ad revenue is with the, plus the algorithm for YouTube. Those are the five things that are important for YouTube. It's not the views. That's because they have to follow the algorithm, which is where the Nielsen ratings on TV so they all ruined their brand. And now I think like Jerry Springer was like, I'm going to run for governor. And everyone's like, bro, sit down. No S way. Sit down. Yeah. Sit down there, buddy. Not going to happen. So that's a huge problem for your brand. And unless you are willing to do the professional wrestler thing and be, be subject to the Jerry Springer effect, then you should not be trying to compete on a lot of these social media platforms. That's why you see people who have really good start off really good on social media suddenly you're like why are you just filming funny funny in air quotes things now or why are you trying to do shows you used to do shows with scientists and great thinkers and now it's like out of work actor that's still good looking next week on whatever talk show that i have on youtube or like next week another influencer who has a lot of followers who they will send to my channel cool no one cares like people care for a second but you have to constantly be adding fuel, throwing gasoline on that fire, otherwise you crash. Whereas a podcast, you can say, this is what I talk about. It's smart stuff. Share it with people who like smart stuff. If you don't like smart stuff, you're going to be bored. Leave. Mm -hmm. And over mm -hmm. time, you build Agreed. slowly a mm -hmm. really good audience. And then when you're like, hey, uh, if you want me to keep doing this, you got to buy a freaking mattress or I'm going to go broke. People are like, give me a mattress. <laughs> right? So... They want yeah. that stuff because they want to support you. But if I see an ad on YouTube, I'm usually like, eh. And it's not that they don't work. It's just that you need a hell of a lot more volume. Yes, and you do. Look, and also, if you don't volume is to be crazy. It is to, is be, to be crazy. To, to put up the next politics thing or go and be as edgy as possible. And, I mean, you hit on this earlier. If there is an algorithm between you and your audience... That is not your audience. That is YouTube's mm -hmm. audience. That is Twitter's audience. That's Facebook's audience. That's Snapchat's audience, or the actually the Chinese government's audience. But all of those are not yours. The minute that it's not good for them to have you be the person in front of this audience, they will just switch it, and they will demonetize mm -hmm. you, or they will move on. And it doesn't mean you did something terrible. It could just be your interests are no longer aligned. And I think that's like one of the incredible things you're kind of talking about for podcasting. Yeah, it, that's a really good point that if there's an algorithm between you and your audience, it's not your audience. And people go, oh, no, well, they can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Man, I know a lot of people that have 4 million YouTube subscribers and they get like 6,500 views per video because now they're just filming themselves breakdancing or something because they're just out of ideas. 
uh, or they get 6,500 views per video because their audience subscribed once when they had, uh, go, let's go back to Dwayne, they had Dwayne Wade on once three years ago. They got a bunch of subscribers and then people went, eh, I don't care about this guy's content at all. You don't really have that with podcasting. Because nothing goes viral in the first place, people have to share via word of mouth or via social media and they go, look, listen to the Jordan Harbinger show, really good stuff, here's a really good guest, start with that. And then people go, oh, that's cool. And then it comes in their feed later, oh, this person looks cool, this person looks cool. With YouTube, it... And also, you know, I agree with what he says because like how Pat Flynn say, if you listen to Pat Flynn, another good podcaster, there is still, as of now... Less competition in podcasting versus more competition in YouTubing. And that's why I say, if it were to be like someone tell me, which one would you do if you really loved it? And which one would you do if you know you really just want more money out of and you want to live it out? I would say podcasting because like how Jordan Harbinger says. Podcasting does not have that much negatives to it. It's more pros than cons. Versus YouTubing, you have like so much pros and then you have so much cons and then you have so much undercover cons that are behind the pros where you can't even see. Versus podcasting, you have lesser cons and more pros. It just doesn't really work like that, right? It, it doesn't really work like that. People subscribe to 500 different channels they go to their homepage and they pick the thing on the top row and that's it. And that's, they just eat their cereal and then they close it and go on with their day. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of following. Yeah, there's art. so much more opting in for podcasting too. I'm going, hey, I'm going to go for a run. I mean, I did this today. I'm going to go for a run. So I'm going to listen to the Jordan Harbinger show. And I download a specific episode. I'm excited about it. And I go for the run and I listen to the whole thing. Versus the alternative, which is, like, I'm just sitting around and I have nothing to do. I guess whatever YouTube sticks in front of my face is what I will get into. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the same thing with TikTok. It's the same thing with Instagram. That's why I don't really mess with it. Like, I don't read my Twitter feed. I read my DMs. Um, I don't look at my Instagram feed. I read my DMs. I don't look at my LinkedIn feed. I read my DMs. There are places where fans can reach me. And people go, oh, you're missing out. And I go, look, man. Show me the top of your funnel. Okay, you have 10 million followers on all these platforms. Great. Why is your show smaller than mine? Oh, because they don't want to go and listen to your podcast. Why? Because they don't really care enough to consume it. Right. They don't. You have, like, very shallow audience that w these people won't go and buy your book when you release it. They're not going to buy your course in high numbers anyway when you release it because they're casual followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that great uh, Kevin Kelly article, 1,000 True Fans. Right. All about, all you need online is truly 1,000 people who truly care about you. And just take those people, and if you can monetize them well, and they actually care a lot, you actually have a career. And it's just a totally different world when you go, hey, let's go on social media. I'll get millions. I'll monetize people to the tune of 0.01 cent, and then maybe I'll have a career. And it really, the math doesn't work out as well. Oh. No, it doesn't. And additionally, then look at look at how many times social media platforms have changed since podcasting started, which podcast builds brick by brick, year by year. Okay, uh, Instagram took over from what? I don't even know. Facebook, which took over from Friendster, which took over from 
I was on my MySpace, or MySpace, not, not Friendster. Friendster came before MySpace, right? So people migrate, and then those things die. And now you've got all these other, now you've got TikTok, and so they're trying to compete with them. But, like, these things sort of come and go. Podcasting doesn't do that. And people might be going, oh, it's only a matter of time. No, not really. It's an open ecosystem. It's not an app. So people can't, some rich billionaire can't make one decision that screws the whole thing up or change the UI for everyone. And people go, eh, I don't really like this. And like, re remember when everyone's like, you better be on Snapchat. There were Snapchat influencers. Literally no one talks about it anymore. <laughs> if it even exists still, no one talks about it. So if you spent three years building your Snapchat following, you're totally screwed right. That is so true. That is so true. And... I never thought of podcasting as that way, podcast listeners, because that is so true. And this still brings back to what Pat Flynn said, there's less competition. So this means that even with social media and YouTube, because as I got older, I realized YouTube was social media too, so that counts as well. These things will die out soon. YouTube won't die out no time soon, but like how he says... The content creators of YouTube will die all soon because it gets old. It gets different. Same thing with these stuff because I remember when I was like in elementary school, Snapchat was the thing, guys. And literally now, Snapchat is dead. And nowadays, TikTok is like the new Snapchat in my opinion. And remember when they had Musical.ly? Well, guess what? TikTok is Musical.ly, but it's just changed to a different name. And TikTok is the new thing for content creators, for career adjustments, and so much more. But everybody better realize that TikTok can help you with your career, but TikTok will die soon as well. Just like with YouTube. Not YouTube in general, but the content creators now that I'm thinking of it. And you know, with podcasting, it doesn't die because podcasting... Is different and also podcast is unique in its own way because if you realize it you're not seeing things you're just listening versus podcast I mean versus YouTubing excuse me and Snapchat and these things you're looking at these stuff and then when you look at those stuff those get old and you move on to new thing like basically it's like thinking of a basketball player's shoe literally if you get that basketball player's shoe for like the 2019-20 season that was a thing then now we're in this new season where it's like a 2020 to 21 NBA season. And you like in this next shoe that they have for this current season. And then that's going to get old soon and they get the new one. And that's just like with Snapchat, YouTube, and these other channels. They grow, they grow, they grow. But eventually they're going to get old and die out soon. Especially with these content creators. Some may survive till the end. And some may not survive. We do not know. We don't know how God will work on them or work in their lives or in their jobs because, you know, some people probably quit their jobs to use this as their main jobs instead of side hustles because you want me. I want podcasting and YouTube to be my real jobs and I want to find a way how to monetize my Instagram because Instagram now is like the new Facebook and TikTok is the new Snapchat, basically. So again... Please listen to what he says. said. If you want to rewind this, rewind this part so you can understand what I was saying and what the man Jordan Harbinger was saying so that you can understand. But now we're about to resume. Now, if you'd spent that time building your podcast 
and, and that's why I only focus on the podcast. I just focus on them. Yes, mm-hmm. if I hired 20 people, I could hit every channel. Cool, then my run rate's $200,000 a month because I've got to buy ads and have managers on each channel. Cool, to then do what? Monetize at 1% of the amount that podcasting can be monetized? No, focus on podcasting. When you're digging for gold in the mountainside and you find a bunch of like other rocks, you don't go, hey, dude, I found a whole lot of quartz down here. We should grab <laughs> those too. No, you just get the freaking gold and the other stuff, you throw it down the side of the mountain, right? Like, you don't grab that other stuff. So I'm only going for the gold. Podcasting is where the money is. I'm not trying to get more TikTok followers. It's a vanity metric, and I don't care. One of the other things that you have done, and I wonder if this is, like, an intentional growth strategy or if you even think this works. A lot of times people say the way to grow is by getting big guests on your podcast. And so they kind of just shoot their shot, and they send out emails because they know that, like, Seth Godin reads all his emails, so they, like, send it, like, spam everybody. Have you seen, like, you've landed guests like Kobe Bryant, Malcolm Gladwell, Chelsea Handler, David Grass Tyson, you just had uh, General H.R. McMaster on the show. All of them, like, do you, do you see them bringing in a new audience, and then if they do, do the audience stay? No, they don't bring in a new audience. And with certain types of people, they might bring in some audience, but no, they generally don't stay. Like, when I had Kobe Bryant on, I got a whole spike, but it's only like a 10 or 15% spike. But a lot of those people, that's the only thing they ever listen to. And they right. did it because they love Kobe. And somebody's like, dude, really good Kobe interview on the Jordan Harbinger show. you got to check it out. Right? Or it comes up in some search for something else because they're like, oh, my God, this guy interviewed Kobe. I was just doing a report on him or whatever. That audience, very few stick around. So whenever I see people go like, oh, stand on the shoulders of giants, bring in all these great people, and then people will see you, and then you'll have credibility, and then they'll stick with your show. It's just not really realistic. You can do that on other forms of social media. Like if you're a YouTuber and you do a, a collab, you show up in search results and things like that, and you've got all these other people that like they promote you, Kobe Bryant's not gonna share your crap. General McMaster's not gonna share your crap. Howie Mandel's not gonna share your crap. It's not, it's pointless. Plus you can so tell when podcasters are doing something where they're like, okay, just gotta kinda like crap out this interview with uh, I don't even know, Chelsea Handler, right? Because then I'll get all these followers. They're not interested. They don't know much about her. They just Googled some stuff. They're mailing it in. You have to go with what you're interested in and what your audience is interested in. The idea that you're going to have all these high-end people on and they're going to grow your show is delusional. It really is. The only time that would work is if you were exceptionally well-connected. Like Dax Shepard is a good talk show host. He runs a good show. But also all his friends on his show are like these A-list amazing folks so he's got millions of people or whatever is listening to his podcast but that's because he can call ellen degeneres he can call michelle obama he can call all these super famous people to be on his show okay fine they're probably getting a bunch of search traffic they're probably maybe even sharing it that's great i'm sure he's building his audience that way that's not going to happen for you don't count on that you're not even going to have you could interview a dentist in your area and they'd be like, I guess I'll tweet it, but it's annoying, right? Yep. It's not really going to grow your show. And even when it does, the vast majority of those people who listen for one particular guest, they don't care about you. They're going to bounce. So I feel like I know the answer, but for you going ahead and putting together like a headliner or a wave or a Buzzsprout visual soundbite, that's not even worth it. You wouldn't put that together and send it to them. You just say, they're probably not going to share it and just move on. I, 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 if I post it on like LinkedIn, which is the only platform 
that we've just started testing recently, just posting stuff on there because it does get decent engagement because people are willing to sit down and listen to something because it's LinkedIn. It's more professional than, than just doom scrolling. Um, that's doing okay, but I tag them in that. And then people will comment or they'll try and reshare it on LinkedIn or something like that. But at the end of the day, even if something gets an amazing amount of play, like I posted a clip from my Kobe interview and it got like 130,000 plays, very few of them went, oh my gosh, I have to open up my podcast app and subscribe to this. They listened to that clip or they maybe listened to that whole episode. Very few of them went and subscribed to the actual show. On the other hand, when I go on another podcast, people go and find the show, they download five episodes that they're into, and then they listen and they go, God, I'm so glad I found this. This is really great. You've got to find people who are already in the habit of listening to podcasts. There are millions of people listening to podcasts. Why am I going to go out and try and educate these randos on the internet who don't already have the habit? Why am I trying to educate the market? It's completely pointless. So you're going to let everybody else get their friends, say, hey, the Purple app, you've not been paying attention to it. That's actually a podcast. You can download these shows. Once that happens, then you're happy to go, hey, I'll pay you for a little time on the show, and now you might come over and you'll now subscribe to two shows. Exactly. That's why That's why I'm appearing on other shows. And people go, will you be on my YouTube channel or whatever? And it's like, I don't really need to do that for the business, right? Because if a bunch of people go and subscribe to the Jordan Harbinger YouTube, I'll save you the Google. It's pretty small because people go, why doesn't this have more views? And I go, because I don't care. Yep. You know, like, I want you to find the content. I'm glad that people are watching. But at the end of the day, for me to produce video is 10 times harder and more costly than producing audio, first of all. Thank Second you. All, Thank you. If you put one ad in a YouTube video, people are like, ah, it's so annoying. This ad is too long. <laughs> what a bunch of a-holes. Thank you. <laughs> Just joking, guys, but thank you for real. That's so true. Like, that's why I say it's not being lazy. It's just that that is too much work. Why? And let me repeat this again, but why should we... I'm sorry, brother listeners. I was just trying to turn on the lights. But why should we be doing YouTubing? YouTubing is harder, for real. YouTubing is very much harder than doing podcasting. Because you have to sit down, edit your videos, do what you can do, versus having audio... And just talking, and all you gotta do is edit the audio. Like, I tell you guys, I mean, part of my personality type, we can do video editing. And I'm good at editing videos, but I believe it's more easier for me to edit the audio than the video on Anchor. Because, you know, you can do that versus doing um, a whole YouTube video. And another thing is, you know what's good about YouTube videos? I'd rather do a podcast on it and just edit my audio. Put that exported audio on my YouTube channel. Then after that, I put on the YouTube channel. And all you got to do is hear it with pictures. And you just see different pictures come in the scene while you're hearing my audio. Which will make more better sense in a way because now it's different. And that's way better than doing YouTubing. That's why I say there's so much betterness to doing podcasting better than YouTubing. Podcasting never gets old. 
the work is much easier for you to do. The salary may not be as high as YouTubing, but it will eventually grow if you put enough effort and so much more. So, yeah, that's why I say podcasting is way better. But let's go back to listening to what these men are saying. Video people are like, ah, it's so annoying. This ad is too long. What a bunch of a holes. You put four ads in an hour long podcast, and people are like, great, whatever. This is the this is the price I pay for great content. You know, it's a completely different mindset when it comes to the content. And you look at watch time versus listen time. Like you see, listen times like eighty six percent of your podcasts mm-hmm. are finished completely by, or uh, something like eighty six percent of people listen to the whole podcast. You look at YouTube. I mean, good watch time is like two and a half minutes or something like that, I think. And I remember seeing my uh, stats from my channel manager. He goes, your listening time or your watch time is 18 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's awful. My videos are like 40 minutes long. And he goes, are you kidding? That's like nine times the average watch time of a YouTube video. And I went, oh, so this is good. And he's like, yeah, it's really good. It means a lot of people are watching the whole thing. Some people only watch a few seconds and skip, and I go, well, that's normal, right? Yeah. But most YouTube YouTubers, like even friends of mine that make their whole living on YouTube, they see my watch time, and they're like, holy crap, how is that even possible? Their average watch time, which is really good, is like 2 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, I think that that's such a good metric, because like we're, we really need to be optimizing for attention and engagement. And I mean true engagement, like somebody actually paying attention to you, they would actually remember listening to your show versus on a lot of channels and people are probably watching this on youtube right now so you're kind of looking at us a little scant but um mm-hmm. that like on youtube really it is you get on you bounce there's 12 things in the sidebar always asking for your attention and it's very hard to keep someone for a long time if i can can i shift uh gears for a second and just kind of pick your brain about interview skills you've done something like a thousand interviews between your old show and the Jordan Harbinger show, and you've done a ton of incredible interviews. Okay, first off, who is the your most favorite interview? Who are you most like nervous to interview? It's always really tough. I mean, I'm I'm never really nervous like beforehand. I, I shouldn't say never. Rarely am I nervous about the person. I'm always nervous about the tech, right? It's always like, oh, is this gonna crash? Is this gonna be unstable? Did they remember to bring their microphone? Why aren't their headphones working? That's the stuff that makes me nervous. But, you know, if I got Malcolm Gladwell on there, I'm not nervous during, really. I mean, I'm ready. So it's hard to say. I've had Mark Cuban, Kevin Systrom, founder of Instagram, Kobe, Ray Dalio. I just interviewed Steven Schwartzman from Blackstone. I've got a lot of really amazing folks coming up. I've had a lot of really amazing folks in the past. I think one of the things that that maybe makes me okay at interviews is that I don't really get nervous because I don't care about celebrities at all. Um, they're interesting people, but I'm not under the delusion that I'm going to be homeboys with uh, Dwayne Wade or Dennis Rodman after the show. So if I say and do all the right things, he's going to be like, bro, we need to hang out more. That's not really in my list of things that I care about. I want my audience to have a good listening experience. So that's why I'm never really that worried about the guests liking me at the end. It's just like journalism. They're not going to call me and invite me to a party. It does happen, but it's pretty rare. Um, so... I don't focus or optimize for that. And I think influencers who try to do podcasts, they optimize for that because they want the, the validation. Once we part ways in the podcast, yeah, I want to be able to call you next year when your new book comes out, but it, that's pretty much it. Right. You know, that's pretty much the only thing. So 
it's better to optimize for the listening experience of your listener than to optimize for whether or not the guest really enjoys being with you in that particular moment. Yeah, you want them to be comfortable. You want them to think you're a professional. But beyond that, that's it. You just want them to go away going, that was pretty good. You don't want them to, you're not trying to impress them. You're not trying to get them to like you. You know, you're there every week. Your listeners are there every week. This guest is there once. Who's more important, right? Yeah, I think Kara Swisher puts it really well. She says, you should be mean to your guests a little bit. She's like, ask them the toughest questions. And you know what? They're probably going to, if they want to sell their next book, they'll probably come back and talk to me because I'm Kara Swisher. And she's yeah. always optimizing for her own shows, which I think is really good. One of the reason things I heard you talk about on another podcast was not feeling nervous because of the prep you do for all of your interviews. So can you kind of dive into what it looks like for you to prep for an interview? Yeah, so I will, of course, read the Wikipedia. I read the entire book that the person has read. That alone, put that already puts you in the 95th, 96th, whatever percentile of all journalists or interviewers. Nobody reads the book. Even, even the journalists you think sound awesome, they're reading a synopsis of the book. They're reading highlights that they got sent by a publicist. Rarely do they actually read the book. If you read the book and you study up on the person, you are already good. Alrighty, podcast listeners. So this is the second part. We will get to the final and third part very soon. Hope y'all enjoy this episode. Jump nine out of ten interviewers. Uh, additionally, you know, I look at the Wikipedia page. I look at their Amazon reviews, the negative ones especially. Hmm. I look at controversy that they've had in their life. Uh, you know, news results, especially old news results, um, not just the latest craze, whatever. Uh, that's the kind of thing that really gets down to brass tacks. If you can find their friends, that's really great. You know, I, I did a whole course on this, actually. It's it's relatively affordable. I th it's on um, it's on Himalaya. I can bump it if, unless you don't want me to. It's a, if you go to Jordan Harbinger slash, uh, jordanharbinger.com slash how to interview, it'll forward you to whatever page it's on because it's got one of those complicated URLs. But it's, it's really affordable and it goes through all my prep process, how to do it, how to conduct the interview. I did a bunch of stuff on there, several hours on this. But I look up as many info sources as I can. I spend 10 to 20 hours prepping for each guest. That's what keeps me up there. It's not like, oh, this guy's so talented. I had say very little of what I'm doing is talent. Most of what I'm doing is outworking everyone else because everyone else is thinking they're so talented or they're going, I don't have time to read the whole book. I'm going to read one of the chapters or two of the chapters, the intro and the close, and I'll be able to fake it. Well, maybe no. you can fake it for some of your audience, but you definitely aren't going to be as well prepared as me, and it's really going to show. It mm. won't show if they don't listen to an interview that I do with the same person, but it will show. You will show your ass if you do listen to an interview with that I do with somebody and then an interview that somebody else does with that person. You will be able to tell. And I'm not saying that that's better or worse. You got your own audience. Maybe you're funnier than me, whatever it is. But I'm not naturally funny. I'm not naturally talented. All I can do is outwork everyone. But honestly, what does the audience want? Maybe they want to laugh. Maybe they want to chuckle. But they kind of want to get out of reading the whole book. Or they want to get such a good taste of the book that they want to know that it's definitely worth their time to go and buy it and then read it and spend 10 hours reading it themselves. So if they listen to me for an hour, they know I've read it. And if that content is interesting, there's more to be had in the book. And if it's like, eh, it was okay, then you've had your fill. Um, but it, it, we can always sort of tell when somebody's faking their way through it. If you don't really know what it looks like when somebody fakes their way through an interview, watch a journalist on TV who has like 10 minutes 
interview somebody, they have no clue what they're talking about. They ask super general questions. Why is now a good time to write your book? Why is this book, why was this the book you needed to write? That's what they ask because they can ask that of anybody who's ever written any book ever. And then the person tells two stories that they tell in every show, and those are the sound bites. If you want to get a real interview with somebody, you have to go beyond the sound bites. I love, when I hear you talk about that, to me, that's depot prep. You're a still an attorney, and you're preparing for, it sounds like you prepare for a deposition. You've got one chance to get the record straight with somebody, and you mm -hmm. put those 20 hours in learning everything so that, I mean, this is this thing we always say when you're doing cross-examination on trial. You say, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. Exactly. Does that feel like how you're conducting interviews? Definitely, yeah. I rarely ask a question where I don't know what they're going to say. And sometimes, you know, look, I haven't heard them tell the whole story or other times they'll give me a different answer. And there are sometimes, even in the interview I did today with Steven Schwartzman from Blackstone, I'll ask him something and he'll go, oh, well, I don't know anything about that. And I'll go, okay, uh, here's a little aside. On page something, something in your book, you talked about this and this. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, now I know what you mean. Yes, okay. And then I go, and keep going, you know, and my editor will snip it because I had to remind him about something that happened in his own life. Now, that doesn't mean he forgot. It just means that I didn't cue him up well enough or whatever it was. But sometimes I'll, I'll, there are times where I'll ask somebody something and they'll say, oh man, I wrote that book like two years ago. Um, remind me again what that is. And I'll go, that's the time you went to the bus depot and you met the guy who dressed in the clown suit. And then they'll go, oh, right, right, right. And then so we'll have to pick it up from there. You have to know their content better than they do. It doesn't mean you have to have a PhD in molecular or cellular biology like this. <laughs> It just means you should be damn sure that you know what's going to come out of their mouth. Oh, yeah. The stakes yeah. are high. If they say something totally different and it's good, keep it in the show. But I That is very true because if you have a certain topic or even if you have a certain person interview, like if you know from my past interviews with my grandmother and Jeremiah Patterson, we had a theme to what we were interviewing about. I was interviewing Jeremiah about Thanksgiving. And he answered his questions about it, and we went all in depth. Same thing with my grandmother. When we not with Thanksgiving, but another theme, which was Christmas. And then on grandparents, Day, we had another interview before that. So to make it more easier and break it down easier to what he's saying, he's trying to tell you that you should be prepared when you're doing an interview, and if you're going to interview somebody, give them the heads up in advance and tell them. Well, we're going to do such such, write your answers down, I'll write my questions down, and then you can, you can say your answers by what's written down or either by how you think of how you wish to answer the question by how I have. And I should have, and vice versa, I should have my questions written down as he has his answers written down saying them. So we don't go in there unprepared and thinking, oh, it's too late. And also, like how he says, if you're bringing a special person on, they should know exactly what to say. You should know exactly what to say as well because... If I had to say, for example, we just bring, like how you said, use a good example, Dwayne Wade on here. You should know what you're about to do. You're going to talk about basketball, or maybe you're going to talk about a different subject. Or even if I'm saying vice versa, not vice versa, excuse me. Another example, like if you were just saying, like for example, with Jeremiah. We'd have a theme, and that's the Thanksgiving theme. So, that's what we're trying to talk about here and say. So, yeah, let's resume. I know what the audience is going to want, 
So I'm going to go and fish that out. I'm going to go and get that out. Again, if I'm mining for gold, I'm not just digging in the side of a mountain going, gee, I hope I find something in here. I know that there's stuff in there. I'm trying to find it. I'm looking for a very specific thing that is going to make this interview worth my audience's time to listen to in the first place. I'm not just fishing around hoping that something happens. We know what those podcasts are like. They're three hours long. There's 18 minutes of content interspersed with a bunch of tangents and nonchalant banter that is not really a good use of your time. Even when professional comedians do it and the banter's funny, it's like, how much of this do I need, you know? Yeah, that that's when that becomes filler content that you're putting on in the background while you're doing your ma- your manual labor job and you want something to listen to. Exactly. Content you're seeking out. You're actually kind of happy it's three hours long because you're like, I'm going to be here for eight, so I might as well listen mm-hmm. to a couple episodes of this super long podcast. Exactly. Yeah, and, and look, that has its place. But if you think you're just going to go ahead and do that, great. Now you're competing against people. Well, now you're competing against Joe Rogan. Okay, right. when you can do a better job than him, then you can do a three-hour-long show about nothing. Yeah. But until then, you're going to play second fiddle, and you're, t- you're always going to – you're a commodity. How many, uh, how many ways are there to fill three hours of your day? And, you know, I agree on that because you shouldn't just have, like, a three-hour-long podcast – If you do not know what to say, because like how, not what Jordan Bing Hamburger, excuse me, not Hamburger, pardon me, High Harbinger, not by what he said, but by what Pat Flynn say, and Sean Kennell with his little group from Dink Media, they always said with a podcast, as long as you got more than five minutes, you should be all right. If you have more than five minutes on your podcast, you're good. Or if somebody's listening to that podcast and you know it's five minutes long or longer, that's good. If somebody's listening to your podcast for about a good five to ten minutes, that's good because now they're enjoying your podcast. Because once you already put in that five to ten minutes already of what your content is or what someone's listening to, they're going to like it. And that's why I do my episodes. I don't try to go three hours long, four hours long unless I'm doing a... Really, really good podcast where I'm taking my time and breaking it down. Like with this episode, for example. This episode is at least an hour or something minutes. And well, my Bible study, my past episodes that I had with Bible studies, the youth one and this, the other one, the recent one I just had, it was like at least an hour and a few minutes long. That's the only time where my podcast will really get long. And you know what, me, I don't try to go at one hour. I try to go at least from 20 to 40 minutes. That's how long my episodes are usually is. And my thing is, if you're going to do a three-hour long podcast, make sure you have your script written out. Make sure you have a good plan before you do it. Don't just go heads on and do it. Make sure you have a good, solid plan so that you can make this three-hour-long, two-hour-long episode. Because for me, guys and gals, I will not do a three-hour podcast unless it's something that was already planned or either it's like an interview where I'm going to actually sit for a whole three hours to do it. But I'm not going to sit for a whole three hours on a mic trying to talk about a podcast and so on and such talk about something because that's to be something that I really 
really enjoy talking about like if I'm interviewing somebody about Mortal Kombat or something or maybe like Christianity or something then that's when my hate podcast I get three hours long and if I'm interviewing somebody like that we're talking about a, a subject that I really like but <laughs> let's move on to what this man's saying infinite how many ways are there to learn from T.I. or Mark Cuban or Malcolm Gladwell or Ray Dalio in a very concentrated format that's Q&A not many man not many and of those, mine will be the best prepared and executed. Just like how he said. Just like how he said. Hold up, hold up. I'll rewind that, guys. But you hear what he just said? He just said prepared. And I just said that, too. You gotta be prepared. It's not nothing you should think, oh, Brennan Brown only said that. No. Joe Jordan Harpingear just said it as well. You gotta be prepared. Let me rewind that part so you guys can hear it clear. Ways are there to fill three hours of your day? Infinite. How many ways are there to learn from T.I. or Mark Cuban or Malcolm Gladwell or Ray Dalio in a very concentrated format that's Q&A? Not many, man. Not many. And of those, mine will be the best prepared and executed. I love it. You gotta be prepared. If you were to give anyone, like, maybe a final interview tip, I mean... You ask some of these questions, I know you don't really care if the guest is going to be a little bit annoyed. So you ask Dennis Rodman, like, what's up with all the crazy, man? And actually got, mm-hmm. like, a good response out of it. Yeah. How do you how do you prep those questions? Like, do you ever feel nervous that you're going to, like, annoy a guest enough that it's over? Not really, because, again, I don't care if they like me. And also, it looks so bad when somebody walks out of an interview. Also, I do plan those questions in so yes maybe the first thing i thought of when i was going to interview dennis rodman was what's up with all the crazy man but i probably didn't start there and if it was even if that question was early on in the interview i probably like went downstairs had lunch with the guy first chatted about nothing chopped it up with his team a little bit got an introduction in the first place through a buddy and then sat him down had a diet coke and then said all right let's roll and then went okay so the question that's on everybody's mind, what's up with all the crazy, man? And he probably just started, I don't remember it, but he probably just started laughing or something like that. Exactly. That's because I didn't, he didn't step off the elevator, sit down and go, okay, are we doing this? And then I go, why are you such a weirdo, right? That's not a good way. I built rapport with him first. There's other things that where I'll ask a guest, and it might be the first question I thought of, but I put it towards the end of the show because I go, I need him to sort of like trust me before asking him this, or I'm going to get a garbage blow off answer, or they're just going to go, oh, is it going to be one of those? You don't want that. So it's, it's, it's all in how you structure the interview. But you develop rapport with the guests. They trust you to do the right thing. Again, being trusted and liked, not the same thing. Being trusted to do your job well, be professional, uh, represent them well, that's one thing. That is completely independent of whether or not they like you. And you shouldn't care if they like you. You should care if they trust you. Man, I think that's really good. Example, though, from your Dennis Rodman interview, you started out by asking him, hey, you're a unique person. I see a lot of people are trying to be more true to themselves. You were doing this in the 90s, though, and it was not as common. And you brought it out as a very, like, you are true to yourself. That's a positive. Got that going. And then ask the question everyone wants to ask in the way everyone wants to ask it. And so with that context, he knew you weren't just hating on him. You were saying, you're actually interesting. Exactly. Yeah, like you have to, there are ways to massage questions that are more awkward into something that is more palatable you have to be careful like 
you don't want to turn it up too much. I, I heard an interview with Matthew McConaughey, and this woman was like, you're so beautiful, oh my God. And I just thought, you're, I turned it off, because I go, ah, you have no idea what you're doing. You've alienated him, he already feels weird, you're making it weird, you're just kissing his ass, there's never gonna be any content in here, you're not gonna challenge him on anything. All you know is that he's hot and you can't control yourself. I'm out. Click delete. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I want to be respectful of your time because I know we only had you for an hour. Can I ask one final question? Um, if somebody was a new podcaster, what is the one piece of advice you want to give them? If they're starting a podcast today, they're not already famous, they're not going to have access to big guests, they don't have a big budget, what would you tell them about starting a podcast? Well, before he answers that question, I just want to say before he ends this podcast, um, or what? Excuse me, the interview they're having. This was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. It was very informative and it's very great to you know to learn from other podcasters, podcasters because I try to learn as much as I can, podcast listeners, so that I can grow my own podcast and learn. And I'm so excited that. He's about to answer this question that I really want to be answered. And also, before we play it, um, it's called Proven Podcast Growth Tactics with Jordan Harbinger. And it's from Buzzsprout on YouTube, just in case if you want to know. So you can check out on YouTube. All right, let's watch this question and listen so that I can know and you guys can know and gals can know how to start a podcast or if you're a beginner or so on. Just work on your skills for the first few years. Don't try and look at it as a business. Don't try and worry about monetizing it. That all comes years later. You need a huge audience to be able to do that. Treat this as a hobby. The best way to ruin a hobby is to try and monetize it and turn it into a job or a career or a side hustle. Just do this if you enjoy doing it and work on your skills for the sake of getting better at your craft. Then you will find yourself in a position to monetize it. Everybody who tries to monetize early ends up figuring out, tr trying to figure out hacks, and they end up monetizing too early, ruining the product, getting sick of not making any progress and not making any money, and they quit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people won't listen to this advice. That's fine. Those are the people that are going to quit. But the I agree on that. I really agree on that because what he just said makes total sense. And, you know, when I started this podcast, and as of this recording and as of this episode, my podcast is not big yet, so... I don't know about future episodes, maybe future episodes, I'm probably right now, maybe on future episodes, maybe I'm already talking about success or how this podcast is growing, but as this episode right now, if you're listening to this, whatever time this is, 2020, 2023, 2022, or even 2020 as of now, if you're listening to this episode, right now, as of this episode, um, I am still a small podcast, I still haven't started yet. I mean, I did start, excuse me, because I'm doing it now. I started it in March, but I never started monetizing till months later once I got to, I believe, October or September. Around late September, beginning of October, I started monetizing this podcast because I like it. It's a hobby, and it's something I love doing. And at first, when I saw you could have monetized, and I saw my friend Jeremiah had ad sponsors, and everything, I was like, oh, crazy, crazy, crazy. I want to go over that. I was being crazy. And like that song says, go crazy, go stupid. That's how I was just going. <laughs> Not song, but um, it was a random meme or a guy who said, go crazy, go stupid. That's how I probably was going over to monetizing. And I realized that my grandparents are right. I shouldn't have monetized because I was thinking of monetizing during, like, I believe, late spring or around mid 
summer. And I thank God that I did wait it because at first I liked it as a hobby. And now I do want it as a job. But like how that man say, I agree. You should wait. But I'm not going to say several years because guess what? God can do anything. So I'm not going to wait several years to start monetizing or nothing like that. If I want to monetize now, I'll monetize now. Because guess what? I'm not going to make this a job. I'll just make it a hobby because I'm not bored of this. And I still love it. I don't care about how much money I make, how much this makes, because I know God will help me and God will allow the process to go. And the good thing is, one thing I want to say that I want to take away from him is that you shouldn't wait several years, guys. If you want to monetize, I would say give it at least a good three to six months after that. Then if you want to decide to monetize, then monetize. But remember, like how that man say, if your podcast still isn't big time or nothing, do not try to act like it's your job. Do not quit your job because you need to stay on your job and you need to stay where you're at so that you can know what you're doing. So only use it as a as a um resource for a little bit of money, but don't treat it as a side hustle because you don't know where that side hustle can go to if you treat it like that. Let's resume. People who are really going to stick with this, you start off just doing it because you like it. And then one day somebody says, hey, you know, you could probably get an advertiser and it would pay for your hosting bill and maybe the drinks you have every week on your show. And you go, oh, that's cool. And then your show grows and grows and grows. And then you go, hey, you know, like this kind of pays for my vacation money now. And then you go, you know, maybe I'll do this other. And then it grows slowly. People who try and turn it into a business right away, it's pretty much universally a disaster. One of the stats I pulled for earlier in this interview was okay, this. only 23% of all podcasts that are out there, there's 1.5 million, but only 23% have 10 episodes and have released something in the last three months. So, you know, we think of this massive world of podcasting, but it's actually a ton smaller when you get people who are willing to stick with this for two and a half months and just consistently mm-hmm. put out episodes. If you do that, you're in the top quarter of people. And if you do that for a few years, a lot of great things can come your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about how low that Great. bar is. Just it's not quitting yeah. in under 90 days or whatever it is, right, when you're releasing one a week. Just don't quit within the first three months of doing something. If you tell somebody that's advice for any other thing, they're like, I want my money back from your coaching. <laughs> how do I get better at soccer? Just don't quit within the first three months. Okay, dude, I'm out. Give me my money. <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm excited to share all of these growth tips and all of your thoughts on podcasting with our audience. Um, hopefully, we'll maybe get to catch up with you again sometime when uh, we're, this COVID thing is over and we're back in person. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that was a wonderful and great episode. Of their, you know, Buzzsprout's YouTube videos. Great interview. Um, Again, well, let me move on. Let's move on to the conclusion podcasters. And we'll talk about what I'm really going to say in my conclusion. Okay, podcasters. So we're in the conclusion. That podcast episode was very informative and very useful. And again, whoever listened to this podcast episode, share this with anyone you know. Share this with any family members you know. And... Also, podcasters, I want to tell you that if you want to start a podcast or if you have already started a podcast and it's still small or even if it's big, no matter what, or if you have a friend or anyone who wants to start a podcast, mainly 
whoever wants to start a podcast, whoever has a podcast, rather it's you, your friend, family member, so on. You watch, you listen to this episode, you share this with your family and friends who, who are that, and just share it with everyone. It's not about who started a podcast or this and that. Just share this episode with everyone and anyone you know so that it can inspire people to do podcasting if they want to do podcasting. And again, very informative. I very much like this episode and it very much helped me to learn even more about podcasting because a lot of people always says that people quit podcasting. I don't understand it because I love podcasting and I wouldn't mind doing this till the day I die, to be honest with you guys. I love podcasting. I love it. It's like a hobby and it's it's more of like a job, but not a real job. It's like a part-time job to me, but you don't know where this can go to once you stick with this for at least maybe like three years, four years, five years. And guess what? I'm still in high school, so I'm not even a grown adult. So we don't know where this can go to after 2024 when I graduate in 2024. If this podcast gets big, I'm going to be surprised. But now that we're talking about that, let's get this episode up to 2,000 plays. Come on, guys and gals. Let's get this episode up to 2,000 plays. Share this with any family member you know and love or any friend you know and love or anyone in general. Have a blessed day, podcasters, and we'll see you on the next episode. And also, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody.